see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Welcome to another episode of Ready for Close-Up. I'm here again, as usual, with Andy. Hi, Andy. Hi, Sam. And this time, we thought that after almost doing these podcasts for one year, we would actually go into some fresh releases. Because, Andy, imagine in a year of doing podcasts almost every month, we've actually only once talked about a new release, which was Tenet, back in the summer. And we were once in the cinema watching Peeping Tom. And since then, cinemas were either closed or we were talking about old movies, classics, directors, composers, and so on. So... What a great chance to finally go into some fresh material. So taking this from our last discussion on the Oscars, I was really inspired by what you said about a movie called Promising Young Woman. So I went to see that and I have to say I completely agree with you. What a great watch that was and what an intricate movie that builds slowly, starts funnily, starts as a satire almost or something you're not quite sure how to feel about it and then just keeps on building. And I had the impression that was really the, the strength of that movie, that it takes you to so many levels where you think you understand what the movie is. Even towards the very end, you get another layer and another layer and another layer. So what a well-deserved Oscar win for best screenplay. You go into this movie and you think you know where it's heading, you know where it's going. And it's this revenge story of um, Carrie Mulligan's character basically starts off with this story that she goes seemingly drunk to parties and clubs and then men are trying to pick her up and rape her or abuse her or take advantage of a drunk woman but she's fully conscious and then she gives them basically a pep talk on how to respect women and this is like the first quarter or fifth of the movie it's unusual, it's a little bit weird, it has very light tones in it, but continuously the movie gets darker, it gets more twisted, there are some turns where it's more going into rom romantic comedy fields, where it's very light-hearted, I mean there's this beautiful sequence, this love montage over a Paris Hilton song, so I think it's, it has really surprising original ideas to offer, and it gets darker, it gets more twisted, it gets surprising. And as you said, every time you think you know how, ah, now, it, now, I, now I know where it's going, now I know where this will go, and ah, she's gonna do this, she's gonna do that, it completely pulls the rug under your feet and it goes in another direction. And this really keeps you hooked until the very end. As you said, the screenplay is amazing. I think it's really original. The cast is great. It's not just Carrie Mulligan, but there's also other great supporting actors which really elevate this movie and make it a great, a great movie. Once it shifts gears after a certain time, you're not quite sure how to feel about the movie anymore. And I think that's what's really disconcerting about this film. So you're kind of amused. You think it's kind of this woman takes revenge on all these men's stories. You know that something in the background with that little notebook that she has, where she, you realize she's been doing that for a long time. That strange family background, still living with her parents, her seeming slightly too old to be in that situation and the parents kind of slightly impatient for her to move on with her life there's like some 
fun to that. You, you laugh at it. It seems satirical. But then once it's, it reaches that stage of a romantic comedy, I didn't believe the movie anymore. It felt so exaggerated and over the top. I thought something's wrong. You know, you mentioned that mm -hmm. Paris Hilton montage. Something's wrong. It's too sweet. That can't be the end of it. And then, of course, it takes these really, really dark turns some of them completely unexpected. And even towards the end, I wasn't quite sure what to think of it. Once she again seems to be kind of an avenging uh, angel or avenging figure, that was really cleverly done. That uh, before it really turns dark again, you somehow keep your hopes up that things are going to turn out well for her, that she's going to go through with her plan. And then something so unexpected happens and takes another two or three turns from there. So really, really clever storytelling, false hooks that we get, where you're constantly thinking this is that type of movie, this type of movie. Yeah, just, just amazing what you can do with a, a really, really good, well-constructed screenplay. Really refreshing to see a movie that doesn't have a hundred million dollar budget and doesn't have massive special effects or huge stars attached to it. I mean, there are a few familiar faces in it. I mean, I think there's also... Um, Laverne Cox from Orange is the New Black in a small role. Jennifer Coolidge plays the mom. Alison Brie from Mad Men or Glow is in there. She's great in it, yeah. yeah. So the, the actors are great, but they're not massive stars. There's nothing... It's, it's not this tentpole movie. It's really more of an indie movie. Somehow we don't get many of this kind of movies anymore in the cinema, I feel, from American mainstream cinema. It's always these blockbuster superheroes. And it feels really refreshing to have something that is original, stands on its own, has an own voice. And it's also not afraid to go to places which might hurt. And it feels very American. It, it really plays on a lot of American themes, but also cliches from movies. You mentioned the rom-com before, um, maybe the revenge movie. It, it seems to pick all these topics and, and somehow go into them briefly just to kind of twist and turn you into a different direction. So it's almost like a going through the different genres and tropes of American cinema, you know, down to the girlyish lifestyle that she has back at this quiet neighborhood, mm -hmm. the high school, the, the coffee shop. And everything seems kind of like artificial and not quite in the right place. That's what I thought was disconcerting to the, almost to the effect of, of, you know, watching Blue Velvet by David Lynch, something that is set in like an Americana type of place and everything looks familiar, but then you really go deep underneath the darkness of that society and the, the lies, the, the deceit. I don't know, it, it, it felt like really a deep movie on the American psyche or the American uh, mechanics of, of a male-dominated society. Absolutely. And I think this is also tying back to what you said earlier, that you watch it and you, you're not 100% comfortable, but it, it's this really interesting difference between the visuals that feel so familiar from all these American movies and what actually the subtext is, it's completely different. So I think this is the tension that the movie also feeds on, that there is really this, you feel safe by the visuals and, and the style and the setting of the movie, but the context and what the movie is about and where it's going is something completely different. So definitely highly recommended also from my side after seeing it, Promising Young Woman. What are you gonna do? Don't hang up. 
Why do you guys have to ruin everything? We were kids. If I hear that one more time, I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I was hoping you'd feel differently by now. It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? I wanted to be a doctor my whole life. Lately, I've been feeling like I might want to get back into it. There is a couple of connections I actually made between that movie and the very first movie I saw back at the cinema, which is another Oscar winner, Best Foreign Language Film, Thomas Winterberg's Druk, Another Round. One similarity between those two movies is certainly that they make you unsure about how to feel what kind of movie this is. There were also a lot of laughs, there was also these dark turns, and this not quite knowing whether you should be amused or shocked. So maybe just to quickly tell a little bit about the plot, it's about four teachers in their midlife crisis, male teachers, who think they can boost their fun in teaching or their careers by drinking before teaching and they always try to put themselves on a certain alcohol level of 0.5 and uh, that goes quite well at the beginning. They really have a, a better connection to their students, they're more relaxed, their life seems to go okay but then of course these experiments go out of hand and they drink too much at very different levels and at the same time they live in a society that obviously drinking and partying is also a problem among um, the younger student generation. So at first it feels like that comedy, you know, what is going to happen once they start drinking? Is it really going to go well or really horribly bad and you're amused by it? Lots of laughs at the theater, but then more and more you see how they lose control and how this is going to affect their families, their relationships, and also turns very dark. Did you have a similar feeling about watching another round did you also see that i also saw that but i also thought that the movie succeeds very much in showing a very human side in all these characters i really felt that yes it's funny on one hand but it's also tragic or sad on the other hand and even within minutes or even within scenes and I think it felt very humane, but also human in that sense. It felt really real. And when we were saying that Promising Young Woman maybe was felt really American, I think another round feels very European and specifically Northern European as well. The emotions are not so overt and it's really about little things that characters show or say or don't show or don't say. And Overall, I think really this this question of could we be someone else? Could could our life be better if we were doing this or that? Or is there another possibility for me in my life? I think these are also very general human questions that every one of us has. I think that is really touching in that sense that this this question, okay, um, is this it in my life? Am I going to be a teacher now forever? Or have I lived my potential to the fullest or not? And these four characters, they try to 
break out of this mold. And I think this is also a very touching moment. Um, and there are many touching moments throughout the movies. But I think after the movie was finished, it also leaves you thinking. The movie asks existential questions and I think it's it's really a great, great strength of, of the film overall. And the audience seemed to connect very strongly with these four men. People also seem to recognize those situations. I think that's one strength that the movie has. It, it puts you in a situation that we've all been to, you know, having had a little bit too much to drink, maybe having been more relaxed, feeling that um, we were somehow um, more relaxed human beings, um, more social, more sociable, and then taking it to an absurd level, throwing them really in the gutter at one point, having them have major uh, relationship problems or, or job issues because of that. So really showing the, the dark consequence of that, but then also taking it back. I think the film kind of goes from light to dark to light again and then at least to ambiguous towards the end and it, the movie is framed with these party moments where yeah the, the end of a school year is celebrated by all students getting royally drunk mm. and you see that at the very beginning and you see it also at the very end but at the very end it's in connection with these these men especially the main character played by Mats Mikkelsen and you you're not quite sure at all how to feel about this anymore he he kind of exposes himself uh, by you know crazily dancing at this at his port in a way you're amused but then it's also far too much he like goes all out but then does it really matter because he's doing it in the middle of all these youngsters having a party and kind of enjoying what what he does they don't seem to mind him but to us as the audience then he seems like completely going overboard. So I thought that was really, really cleverly done. Having that connection that you, you, you mentioned before, that humanity in there, we, we, we've been there in that situation. But then like Winterberg also does in other movies like Jachten, pushing it to the extreme and saying, what if now that society or those characters were put to the edge mm -hmm. where they're almost losing it, where they're almost being blind drunk and you know, getting into real trouble or where they almost have a, a fallout. And it seems to kind of hover on that level all the time. And I, and I thought fascinating, also very suspenseful. This last scene that you mentioned, I found that extremely beautiful, because I think it's also throughout the movie, it's mentioned that Mats Mikkelsen's character used to be a dancer, but he never likes to dance and he doesn't dance. And I think in the end where he's really dancing this somewhat modern dance amidst all these partying and drinking students. I think that was really, really touching. And I think the movie is full of such scenes which are very subtle, but they work on, on, on many levels. And I think to me, Mats Mikkelsen, he's always a great actor, but I think particularly in this movie, he gives an amazing performance. And I think all the actors are great, but, but Mikkelsen is really a standout for me. said in connection with our Oscar episode that at the center of all of this needs to be a good surprising screenplay that takes storytelling to somewhat new levels and I thought both movies did that they were playing with the familiar be it this Americana and promising young woman or 
recognizing those moments in, in another round. But then you didn't know where the story would, would take you to. You would be kind of on the edge all the time because you didn't know where, where that storyline was going, what was still in store, how many extremes were still there. And in a way, both movies take you to really highs and lows and um, throw these characters into completely unexpected waters. And I thought, yeah, just two great, great examples of what a good, strong screenplay can do. There was something you've just recently seen, just as recent as yesterday, that just came out and that's been advertised more broadly, maybe more of a mainstreamy release. I don't know. What did you think of Cruella? I am woman. Hear me roar. I'm just getting started, darling. Is. I was born brilliant, born bad, and a little bit mad. <laughs> To be honest, I was very positively surprised by Cruella. I had low expectations because I'm not a great fan of these real life action movies that Disney is now churning out quite regularly. They made um, Beauty and the Beast, they made Aladdin, Lion King, even though <laughs> it was all CGI. But I think they're really trying to recycle, reproduce their IP, their characters, their villains. So now I mean, they already did a very successful movie with Maleficent, with Angelina Jolie a few years back, where they're trying to give a backstory to the villain from a classic cartoon movie. And they also tried to do that here with Cruella, the villainess of the 101 Dalmatians movie. I think I was positively surprised because it doesn't really feel like a Disney movie. It's not so sweet, it's not so overtly good. The movie is an interesting mix between Oliver Twist, The Devil Wears Prada, a little bit of The Joker, a little bit of Harley Quinn, a little bit of, I don't know, Ocean's Eleven. So I think the elements there is everything you've seen it before. But the mix makes it really work, I think. The actresses are really great. There is Emma Stone, which stars as Cruella, the main character. And she, she has a good comedic timing. She's a good comedic actress. I think she proved this time and time again. And it also works here. She, she's able to give a very strong performance. She's really reveling in this quirkiness and getting crazier and being a bit of a diva at times, but also a bitch. And the other standout is clearly Emma Thompson, which plays the Baroness, sort of a mentor figure for the young Cruella. And the story really plays out that Cruella is this orphan and she's in the 70s, early 70s London. She's growing up, she wants to be a fashion designer and she gets uh, a job as an assistant at the Baroness fashion studio. So there is a lot of this um, mentor and ingenue, and then the ingenue taking over the mentor um, drive, which is very similar to Devil Wears Prada. So it has the same Meryl Streep and Hathaway energy, I think, which is really, really great, actually. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot, particularly because of Emma Thompson. And then it takes a little bit more a dark turn there, and then it comes with this Dickensian story about an heirloom, about... To be honest, I wasn't too interested in the connection 
of Cruella, the cartoon character we know from the original movie. And this story that is trying to tell us a prequel, how she came into being this fur-loving, puppy-killing monster. I think the movie tries to make these nods and there's a lot of Easter eggs in it that tie somehow Cruella, the movie, to the 101 Dalmatians. But I don't really care too much for, oh, I need to psychologically understand now Cruella, the Vil. I don't. But isn't, isn't that what has been the problem with many franchises, with many studios taking these characters that are well known for decades and trying to give them these prequels, these, these origin stories? And yeah. I think Cruella is just another one on the, in a long row of origin stories of almost any character and those remakes. And I think there's, there's successful ones and it, that appears to be quite a successful one, not necessarily for the origin story reasons, but because it's a, an interesting reworking of, of well-known elements. But it seems to, seems to be part of a larger problem that especially you have talked about in a past few episodes as well. A franchising, what, 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 is, what original thing is there left to tell besides just warming up different elements we've seen, maybe throwing them together in a new way. And that seems to be at least a successful throwing together of well-known elements. It's enjoyable. It opens the character up to a new audience, to maybe a younger audience. There's some Easter eggs for the fans. And that can go really well, but is it really original? Just like another round and promising young women are, because there are truly original stories. I think it's original in the sense that the movie is trying to go further maybe even further than Maleficent, for example, which were just like, oh yeah, she was a bad, evil witch in the in the Sleeping Beauty. But actually, her origin story explains that she was actually good and she then became bad. I think Cruella doesn't make this mistake. She's crazy and bad from the get-go. And there are these interesting dynamics with Emma Thompson's character in it. And I don't want to spoil too much, but I think it's really... Kudos to the, to the director who really tries to, to go a different route there than you would expect from such a blockbuster Disney movie. The movie's entertaining. It's entertaining popcorn movie. You don't need to think too much about it. You have two Oscar-winning actresses there who have a ball with amazing costumes. I think the visuals are stunning. Of course, they have to be because the movie is in this fashion world. The looks are amazing and Emma Thompson is really chewing up every scenery and every scene she's in. So I think there are other values that the movie has, which I thought entertained me much more than the actual oh origin story of this villain and how she became bad and blah, blah, blah. I, I think the movie is also not too interested into this and I wasn't neither as an audience. So I think the movie actually worked for me because it didn't try to make her, didn't try to make this, this, this origin story of the puppy killing lunatic in a way. And in a way, yes. But I think, I guess you have to go and see for yourself. I enjoyed it tremendously, but I guess for all the other reasons. But there were enough reasons in that sense why you could still like it, even though you were not really interested in what maybe the movie mainly wanted to achieve. Probably. But it seems to have been an interesting reworking and, and, and a rich enough characterization to, to keep it interesting. Absolutely. Well, definitely we'll want to see it uh, in the next few days. I think it's also one of the first movies that truly broadly advertised. I was just aware of how few movie posters I had seen over the past few months. 
except for the old ones still hanging out sadly at, at cinemas and you're just wondering well when is that movie going to come out of course for me the the Bond movie but I was lucky enough to see a fresh release kind of unexpectedly in connection with uh, LGBTQ Visibility Month that happened in Bern uh, this May. They had all kinds of events and they also showed a couple of movies. And there was a new German movie, a German-Iranian movie coming out called Futur 3. And I went to see it and I was quite stunned because now talking of these franchise, for instance, Disney productions that put so much effort into reworking things that have been there before, making it popular to all kinds of audiences of different ages. This was just like the complete opposite. And of course, almost closer to Promising Young Woman because it's a, a first movie of an Iranian German director, Faraz Shariat, and his German co-author, Paulina Lorenz. It tells the story of the Iranian-German second generation, some of them just having come to Germany from Iran because they had to flee, so they have refugee status. The main character, having lived in Germany pretty much all his life, uh, Parvis, played by Beni Rajipur. It tells this conflict of living in Germany, having an Iranian background, but having lived through very different experiences in terms of what your heritage still is. So one character part is living his gay life relatively openly, his family also surprisingly tolerant of that, um, having lived in Germany for a long time, you know, can bring his, his lovers or boyfriends home, they talk about it, it's no big issue. And then you see him working at this refugee camp where he gets to meet people who have recently arrived in Germany and they're still kind of struggling with the language, struggling with adapting to this new life, having real identity issues as well. One of the guys then kind of makes contact with him. It's not quite clear whether it's like romantically intended or not, or whether it's just a friendship, but then this relationship grows out of it. This romantic relationship grows out of it. And of course, all the tensions then between being almost adapted to a German lifestyle, still having that heritage in the background. They have conflicts over, over language and family members and friends. At the same time, it's not this classic gay panic story where suddenly <laughs> it becomes a cultural issue and one of them is really excluded. The movie always throws you into a new context. And at one point they are thinking of running away together. At one point it seems like their relationship breaks up. But then the issue of the second character's sister becoming expelled from Germany becomes the main focus. And then it becomes more of a this tragedy of, you know, will they be able to keep her in Germany? Will she be able to flee in time before the police comes to grab her? And it was interesting to see a movie that, again, didn't quite make you sure enough what kind of movie it would be. Would it be, you know, gay romance or would it be refugee drama or would it be suspenseful, riveting escape story, family drama? It kind of left it open, was beautifully told visually, really stunningly put into very refreshing images and making it clear that this was a typical movie of someone who made one of their first movies. It, it tried to pack so many different moments in there, so many different aesthetics. Sometimes a little bit too much, you felt, you know, they also wanted to include that and this slow-mo and this music moment. But altogether, it just felt very refreshing. Didn't feel like something you had seen before, even though the elements seemed to suggest that it was going in a certain direction. It, it always kept you on your toes. P-A-R-V 
I S. 120 Sozialstunden, richtig? Mhm. Das Ganze hier ist eine ehemalige Schule. Wurde uns für das Wohnprojekt zur Verfügung gestellt. Das war das erste Mal, dass ich was mit jemandem wie dir hatte. Ja, eigentlich stehe ich gar nicht so auf Ausländer. Arabi? Na, Iraniasta. Maybe looking at the movies I've seen from the ones that we've talked about, this is really what I enjoyed about being back at the cinema. Seeing original material that didn't feel cliched, that didn't feel predictable, that still made it possible that movies would go in a, in a completely unexpected direction. Maybe that's, that made me kind of hopeful about future movies. Yeah, and I think that's the beauty also of seeing these movies that no algorithm is proposing to you, you know. I think we've we've been now for a very long time in this bubble of all these streaming things where you also somehow you're getting catered exactly what you already watched before. And then you're somehow always watching similar themed series and similar themed movies. And I think it's it's really valuable that now again we have the opportunity to go in and see a German an Iranian drama which deals with gay topics and refugee topics but there's also the possibility to, to see a Danish drama about four teachers who want to get drunk. This is still very valuable I think and very powerful and I think I've also been missing out on this opportunity to really go and discover new things, see new things that also make you think a bit more, that make you question things and I think that's something that I've in the past always had in the cinemas. I think it, it ties back to what we said about the Oscar nominations this year as well. It seems that the pandemic year made not just the Academy members, but also audiences focus more on things they actually wanted to see, that they chose themselves, that were maybe smaller scale, that couldn't be advertised largely. And so many different movies made it to the forefront that maybe otherwise would have been lost in the promotional craziness of all the mainstream franchise movies. And because all these productions couldn't be released, there was a lot of fresh material that we got to see that maybe because we were sitting at home and making our choices, maybe because those were the first movies just on at the cinema because they had a release date already or they were longer on at cinemas, so they mm -hmm. were still on. I think it reshuffled the movie landscape in a way. Of course, these big movies are still going to be big and they're going to put an extra effort now in making money because... Obviously, they lost it elsewhere. But by putting things onto different platforms, by having so many low-key productions coming to the fore, I think we have a different perception. We had a different chance of accessing movies and different stories, like you said before, things, perspectives we wouldn't have seen otherwise. And I think it's also always a very active choice going to the cinema. And I think you really commit for an hour and a half or two hours to be in this dark room and watch the movie. I think I suffered over time also a bit from this Netflix fatigue, and maybe we talk about it later, that you're, you're watching a movie, but you're not fully committing or concentrating on the movie. Yeah, speaking of new releases, I mean, of course, the streamers are also churning out a new fare. And one movie that I saw recently was uh, Woman in the Window. It's a novel adaptation of a best-selling book. It had a bit of a troubled production, actually. It should have been in the cinemas a while ago. 
but it was always shelved and they had to reshoot and things like that. It's actually a star-studded thriller starring Amy Adams. There's also Gary Oldman in it, Julian Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee. The story revolves around an agoraphobic woman who lives alone in a New York apartment and she can't leave her own flat. She's, a, she's afraid to leave the house and she starts spying on the neighbors. She seemingly thinks she has witnessed a murder. So it's this really rear window get up of of a story. I've read the book, I've seen the movie and I think both have their pros and cons. I think overall the book already is not the most original thriller ever because it's really referencing a lot of other movies and pop cultural things. The movie does a good job in actually replicating what the book sets out to do but I think since the source material is not that strong, the movie somehow doesn't know how to to elevate this into something great. It feels sometimes a little bit campy, a little bit pulpy, it's a little bit cheap also. I think twists and turns are a little bit they're not really they're not really surprising. They don't really feel original. And the cast, I think it's an A-list cast, but it's really undersold in a way. Amy Adams tries her best, but I think overall the, the story is not gripping enough and the twists feel a little bit flat. Yeah, it, it feels like an A-list production team doing a B Sunday evening movie that you can watch, but if you don't watch it, you're not really missing out on anything. I was a bit disappointed, especially given the, the talent behind and in front of the camera. So you don't necessarily have to watch Woman in the Window. If you don't know what to watch uh, else, you can, but it's not a hard recommendation from my side. This is a safe place. I'm agoraphobic. Can't go inside. I've been slipping, getting into a really dark frame of mind. So, what's the latest on the street? Your neighbor. She's become a friend. Her name is Jane Russell. Do you want to go outside? You know, I have a shrink of my own. <laughs> Mr. Russell believes that you made a mistake. You have never met my wife. If I can make one just small recommendation, as I was on these LGBTQ-themed productions lately, there was also a new series that just came out on German television called All You Need, which is the kind of the first gay-themed uh, series, which takes place in, in Berlin and circles around a number of uh, characters going out in dating days and friendships and lovers. It's, it's kind of like a German take on the American series Looking that was on mm -hmm. a few years ago, which did the same thing for San Francisco and which was great about seeing all these places and locations and bars and clubs. And of course, after 
over a year of pandemic and not being able to to go out to be um, part of that scene it was it was fascinating to see what they had done with that story not very original in terms of the characters and the relationships we've all been there but keeping a nice level of of fun of of serious relationships memorable moments and characters but let's say nothing completely refreshing nothing we haven't seen before but i think just the fact that it came from a German perspective, it's kind of like a first. It's still amazing to me that we still discuss about, you know, this is the first series that deals with gay issues from Germany. So that was an interesting thing to see and I think it's still available on ARD Mediathek in case you're interested. Sie lieben dich über alles, aber sie haben einfach Berührungsängste mit dem Leben, das ihr Schwule so führt. Was für ein Leben führen wir Schwulen denn? Naja, weniger Familie und Tradition, mehr feiern, flirten, ficken. Ich wünschte, alle würden mal mehr feiern, flirten, ficken. Ich hab Bock, dich hier und jetzt zu küssen. Würdest du es zulassen? So that was quite an interesting panopticon of new productions we've seen together and individually. Certainly a nice selection of movies that give us a fresh taste for what good storytelling can be, maybe where franchises are moving and strengths and weaknesses of streaming and television. So I hope that next time and we can go into another batch of fresh releases or into something very obscure culty and old-fashioned you know it's kind of the two worlds that we we live in who knows i guess you have all to tune in again next time to find out what is it gonna be well find out next time or when we are ready for a close-up don't worry there's lots more bad things coming perhaps Okay, ladies, show's over.